Hey, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, wasn't that worship incredible? It's incredibly good. Thankful for our brothers who can come and um, lead us in that way. Um, you know, it's great how the body of, of, of the church really functions, right? Even though you're being blessed because they're here, right? Uh, for a sec there, I thought you guys were walking back up on stage. I'm like, no, that's it. I've got it from here. Uh, but they're here, right? They're part of another church and coming and serving. And it's like the, the, the commonality we, we, we share in Christ, right? We have each other. And I just think that's so great. Um, this morning, we're going to continue with our series. Um, and some of you can guess what that series is. We've been in it for a while, right? 52. That was a joke, right? Because it's been a year. It's been a long time. Apparently, it's been a really long year for some of you, right? So we're continuing on this on our series 52. And, and uh, the passage of Scripture I want to look at this morning is taken from Psalms uh, 13. So if you open your Bibles to Psalms 13, um, and our memory verse is verse 6 of Psalms 13. And these last few Sundays, we've been, even though we're, you know, 52, we have this, this series that is connecting, right? We're looking at essential scriptures for our lives. Every person who speaks, um, you know, whether it's me or Pastor Jimmy or, or some of our elders who come or uh, Ryan, one of our directors who speaks occasionally, um, we've all given this, this, this option to, to have a verse. What is a verse God's laid upon your heart that you can present that would be essential for us, right, to apply to our lives? What can we learn from it? What can we glean from it? So in, in, a, in a sense, we're in a series, but it's kind of like this independent kind of messages. But the last few Sundays, we've, uh, as, as a staff, decided, you know, how do, how do, we, how do we move forward? Well, you know, maybe that should kind of be our theme that resonates in these next few, few messages going in through November, and then, of course, in Christmas will be uh, centered around the birth of Jesus, but because uh, I had the opportunity to see, I spoke two weeks ago and I'm here again, which probably means God's punishing you, right? Tyson's up there again. You did something wrong. It's all your fault, right? Uh, so I hear, I get the honor and, and the, the one I want to look at is, is from Psalm 13. And it's about worship. Now, how do we move forward in our worship? Um, I don't know about you. Have you ever had those moments where you kind of get stuck, right? You kind of just, you know, I went to church today. I didn't, uh, yeah, I, I was there. Right? Is anyone ever kind of don't have to raise your hand? But we kind of have these moments in life where, in our journey, whether it's difficult to open our Bibles to read, we kind of have this this moment where we get stuck. And I think that there's the story about David uh, in Psalms 13 because David writes out of experience, right? And he's going through something that we're going to look at, and it's in these moments where he's enduring some some difficulty, we could say, and he pins it out. He pins out Psalms 13, and it's a short psalm. I mean, when I was a youth pastor, my youth kids used to tell me like, "You like the psalm because it's so short." That could be part of it. No, it's a really good psalm, and uh, I just want to read it. And our, our memory verse is, is verse 6, um, but I'm going to read the whole thing for us this morning. This is out of the New King James Version, so it might be a little different than your version. Uh, verse 1, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. Least I sleep the sleep of death. Least my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Least those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. And verse 5, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. And I ask God as is. As always, you get me out of the way, uh, Lord, that you communicate through me and just allow your word to speak to us. I believe there's, there's great things as we always approach your word that we need to apply and learn and 
Uh, God, this is one of those uh, one of those mornings where we need you to, to be here and to move. Uh, so, God, we surrender this time to you. We ask that you'd open our eyes to your truth, our ears to hear your voice, um, because I believe we relate. Lord, in life, we, we have difficulty. We, we hear the words of Jesus saying we'll have trouble in this world, but he also says uh, for us to take heart because he's overcome it. Uh, so I pray that as, as we go through this psalm, Lord, that you would instruct us, you would teach us more about who you are and um, maybe about who we are as well. We pray this in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so here's your memory verse. I picked a simple one for you. If you probably already have it memorized, right? I will sing to the Lord on the piece of paper in your bulletin. I will sing to the Lord because he's been good to me or he is good to me. Um, a lot of translations, mine says he has dealt bountifully with me. And we can say that in life, when things are going good, it is easy to worship God. Can I get an amen on that one, right? It's easy to do that. It's easy to come to church. It's easy to put a smile on your face. But life isn't always on these mountaintop experiences. We walk through valleys in moments where it's difficult. We have pain. And we endure some things. It's in those moments, right? It's kind of like those are defining moments in our spiritual journey where it's like, what are you going to do with it? Right? What are you going to do with this pain? Are you going to allow it to eat at you and create bitterness and, and react in a certain way? And as, you know, as a church, we've gone through a lot. Right, And we're in the midst of it. Pastor Jamie just talked about, you know, we're starting to get the search committee together. We're starting to move forward. And, and this morning I want to talk about moving forward in our worship because in an individual sense, right, we have moments where it's, God just seems like he's a million miles away. And here David, right, he's saying this. He goes in six verses and he begins by starting out by saying, you know, how long? He says it four times, right? How long? And then, you know, four verses later, he's like, you know what? I'm going to sing to the Lord. It's like, how did he get there, right? For some of you not interested, you know, here's, here's kind of the backdrop of this psalm and a little bit about David's life. Um, if you're not familiar with him, David was, you know, when you think of David, if, you, if you've read some of the Bible stories, you kind of put him in a category, right? He's either this courageous, you know, war-hardened man, which he was, right? They, they sing of, of, kings, of King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, that he slayed his thousands. They would sing that about King Saul. Well, David was the second king. And they would sing David slayed his tens of thousands. Right? So when we think of David, we're like, man, here's this war-hardened man. He's a man among men. He's done some things. Maybe we think of the story of David and Goliath. Right? Here's this little shepherd boy before he becomes king. His dad says, hey, go take some food to your brothers in the battle. David's like, all right. He's not old enough to go to war. Takes some food, takes it to his brothers. He arrives there, and he realizes, boy, all these Israelites are immensely afraid. Right? They're quaking in their sandals. Right? They're flip-flops. Um, they're at, they're at war, and there's this Philistine named Goliath who's this giant. He's come out, and he says, hey, bring your best fighter. We'll fight, and whoever wins is the winner, right? And this is going on for a long, long time, and there's not one Israelite who will come out and meet Goliath. David shows up with food for his brothers, and he's like, what's up? What's going on? And like, hey, is this Goliath? You don't want to know. You just don't want to know, right? And David, <laughs> David's like, well, you know what? I, I took care of the sheep. I'm a shepherd boy. I, I, I defended the sheep. I killed the lion with my hands. I killed the bear with my hands. This, this man, nothing, this Philistine who will come against the name of God, he's nothing, right? So they're like, I'll go before him. And they're like, I don't know if that's a good idea, David. Right? Even King Saul was like, ah, I don't have anyone else. He's probably thinking PR. How do I spin this thing? The whole, my whole nation is like scared, right? How do we do this? I've got this little shepherd boy. And he's going to, and then King Saul's like, here, put the armor on him, right? And he can't even fit the armor. The armor's too big for him. It's too heavy. So David's like, well, all right. He's going forward. This is it. I've got no one else. Here, put the shepherd boy out there, right? 
And the only thing you can knock David for in that story is he picked up five stones. Get a slingshot, right? It only took him one. He sinks that first stone in Goliath's head, right? Kills him. And he comes out and complete. I'm mean, the picture I get, right? You're thinking about David. Is this complete defiance? How dare you come in the name of the Lord? You know, you defy the name of the Lord? Okay, you know, he gets that slingshot. Bam, it's done, right? And everyone's like, whoa, that's crazy. But we think of David that way. He was a shepherd boy, great courage, great faith. We think of him as a mighty man, a hard man, right, who is a, a war-hardened man, slayed his sins of thousands. We also think of David with some of his sins. Right, and he has a sin, if you're familiar with the story of Bathsheba. Right, he has an affair with her, gets her pregnant, has her husband killed. Right, this is the same kid, same, same, same shepherd boy, grows to be king. Absolute power corrupting him, right? But it's in these moments, it's in these moments in David's life, it's how he responds to them. Because in all these stories, regardless of how you think about David, David was a mighty man, and he was a man after God's own heart. And why is it? Because you look at these things and go, man, there's combat, there's, you know, a giant. I mean, it's crazy, right? There's this it's sin. Even when we took the census, I mean, all these things that David did, God was with him, but it's how he responded. You know, now that sin of, of Bathsheba, he wrote Psalms 51. Out of that, what was, he was experiencing, he goes to pen and he writes this down. This is where he says these words in Psalms 51, against you, you only, Lord, have I sinned. The brokenness, right? He knows. He knows how to go forward. And in this psalm, there's this backdrop happening. Right? Once again, David is experiencing some difficulty. And the story behind this psalm, Psalms 13, is his son, Absalom, is trying to take over the kingdom. Right? He's, he's, Absalom would hang out at the gate. He's his old, David's oldest son. And people would come and visit the king and do business with the king, so to speak, right? And if they didn't like the, the, the king's verdict, they would come walking out by the gate. And Absalom started to pick up a trend. There's these people coming to the king, right? He makes them upset. I kind of like would like the kingdom. I can, maybe I can have these guys help me do it, right? So he creates this plan. Absalom gets enough people together. He feels, i got enough. I want the kingdom. I'm not waiting. I'm going. So the day happens, right? And, and Absalom has his panic. He takes over the kingdom. David's on the run, running for his life. King David, the guy who slays the giant, right? Because all these mighty things and more, he's on the run. And the powerful thing out of this story is he realizes, right? At this moment, the kingdom is divided. And in order for the kingdom to come back together, right? Because there's people who are like, I'm for David. And other people are like, I'm for Absalom. In order for it to come back together, one of them's going to have to die. That's running through his head. That's a hard reality. You think of the, the sorrow here, right? He's by himself. He goes and writes this psalm we just read. And he's dealing with betrayal. You ever had that happen to you? You ever had a family member do something you know, quite like this? Because we could read this story and go, Tyson, I've never had a son you know, try to take over my kingdom. You know, we just don't relate to that, but we relate to the emotions that David is experiencing. And it's what he does in this moment that's so important for you and I. Because there are moments in our lives, right, where we deal with sorrow. We deal with heartache. We deal with the idea that God feels like he's a million miles away. And David's saying it. How long? How long? How long, God? How long? Where are you? 
And so for us to move forward in our worship, right, is this idea of, of, of learning what David is doing because this is the, the defining moment in his journey, right? It's not just enough to come and say, God, where are you? I think you've checked out. You've taken off. It's what he does next. And the, and the points here to my message this morning I think are very simple. But they're at times very difficult to do. So what does David do? How can we learn from David's life, right? In this moment, right or wrong, he's on the run. Absalom's taking the kingdom, right? Absalom assembles his advisors. This is in 2 Samuel 15 through 17. You can read this story. And uh, one advisor tells uh, Absalom, you should go now. Go now. David's on the run. He's tired. You should kill him now. If you want the kingdom, go now. And the other advisor says, no way. He's a war-hardened man. He's upset. I would wait and assemble all the tribes before you go after David. Right? So that's kind of the counsel he's getting. And so Absalom decides to wait. So in the meantime, David's on the run. He's out here going, where, where are you, God? Holy cow, what is going on? Think about just the, the father-son relationship here that is out of whack. Right? My son, conspiring. They can probably feel that knife in his back, right? Have you ever experienced something like that where somebody resented you or somebody did something like this to you? You know, how did you respond to it? What did it do for your prayer life? Good or bad, right? So what does David do? Number one, he, he cries out. That's your point. He cries out to God. You and I, when we go through difficult times, we need to cry out to God. Notice that David in the first part here where he says, you know, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? There's none of this pointing the finger, how dare you, God, did this to me. Right? It's a difference. He's not coming and saying, Lord, what, what is the deal? Why would you do this? He's saying, where are you? Man, we've had this walk. We've had this journey. I'm on a spiritual journey, God, but it seems like you're a million miles away. I think everyone in this room at moments in our lives can identify with that. God, where are you at? Where have you been? And he's saying these words, right? How long, O oh Lord? Right out, he's taking his cry to God. How long will you forget me forever? Think about that. Will you forget me? Can God forget us? Right? No, these are rhetorical statements, but he feels like God doesn't even know me. Not only does he forget me, he doesn't even know me. He doesn't even know who I am. This is, this is the sorrow and the emptiness where he's by himself. Right? I can imagine he's probably pacing out in the wilderness somewhere, walking back and forth. God, where are you? Where are you? And he goes on and says, how long will I take counsel in my own soul? Have you ever been in a position in your life where you just couldn't talk to anybody? And you're your own counselor. And I know, I realize that we think we're our best counselor. Then we're falling to that boat where it's like, my counsel's the best. I know what I'm telling myself. You ever told yourself you just want to be angry because you want to be angry? You think that's the best counsel? <laughs> right? No. I identify with it. Sometimes I just want to be mad. That guy cut me off. I'm going to be mad all day. Cut me off on the way to church. How dare I'm Right? It's just whatever. That's facetious. It's kind of funny, but it's like that, isn't it? Sometimes we just, our own counsel isn't the best. But here's David is going, there's no one here for me. Right? I'm trying to figure this thing out. I've got, I've got father-son issues. I've got, you know, one of us is going to die. I've got to figure that thing out. And I don't even know, you know, he's, he's processing all these emotions. And then he's going, I'm the only one speaking into me right now. The loneliness, right? There, God, there's, I'm, I'm taking counsel in my own soul. Man, I've got nobody. Talk about feeling alone, right? We can identify with that. And he goes on saying, I'm having sorrow in my heart daily. Right? Not just at night. Not just when I'm alone. 
Not when I'm just at work. Not just on Sundays. Not just on Monday morning. Not just when the Broncos lose, right? Not just these moments. He's saying, it is with me. I feel this weight. I feel this burden. I'm not giving myself good counsel. This is where I'm at, God. He says, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Right? So here's his cry. So what do we learn from this in our walk? Because David, is all he sees is red, right? It's that, that, that saying. It's right in front of him. This is how I'm living. This is how I'm reacting. And you've been, if you've ever been around a person who's hurt and wounded, what do they speak out of? They speak out of that hurt and wound. So here's David. So what does he do? He, number one, he cries out to God. So I think we learn from that is to take this bitterness and lay it down at his feet. That's the most important thing we can do, right? And he's honest. Be honest. He doesn't mince words here. He doesn't point his finger at God, but he is really honest. This is how I'm feeling. This is the rawness, right? The real and rawness of David right here. Where are you, God? If you read anything about David's life, he's had tremendous examples and journeys where God has demonstrated profound things through David's life, where David knew beyond a shadow of doubt God was with him. But yet here in this moment, right, this bulwark of faith, he's, he's saying, where are you? Like, holy cow, the kingdom's gone. My son's rising up. What is going on? Where are you? So be honest. And then the point I put down on your notes is, but don't stay. Don't stay there. It's good to come and cry this out and lay this burden down. But some of us, we just stay there. We lay it down. We don't do anything else. If you want to move forward, we have to look at what David does next. Some of us can lay that burden down. I laid it down, Tyson. I did good. But then we grab it. We pick it back up. I want to hold on to this for a little while. I know vengeance is the Lord's, but I think he's going to use me in the process, right? Some of us got that right, right? God, I know you're going to bring some vengeance. I know you'll get, but you let me be the one who drops the hammer, right? Sometimes we feel that way. We lay that burden down. We're just like, um, I'm going to pick that back up. Look what David does, right? Here's what's happening. Lay it down. It's honest with God. He moves from there. I don't know how long this takes. I would imagine there was a big, long pause. It's almost like you could just see him just kind of gushing out of him. And he lays it down. There's probably a pause. There's probably a big, deep breath. And he goes into what? He goes to prayer. Now he can pray. Right? When all you see is red, all you see is the hurt, all you see is the pain, right? Are we really in a position to commune and talk to God? No, right? So step one, it's very simple. Lay it down. And when we get this burden off us, it's almost like you're like, you can exhale, right? All right, okay, got that thing down. Now we can pray. Look what David says. This is verse three. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes. Least I sleep the sleep of death. Least my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Least those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. God, I'm going through some hard aches here. Going through some difficult times. There's some people being really mean and harsh to me, but they are rejoicing when I'm broken. Right? He attaches his prayer. Again, he's real and honest with God. He attaches it almost to his cry. I'm not sensing you. Lord, open my eyes. I don't see you. And if you don't move, God, I don't, I don't know what else I have. You know what's amazing here is this prayer is not like, you know, five pages with, with perfect like theology or anything. There's, you know, in our moments in life, sometimes we feel like there's, there's the right protocol. And, and there is a way. Jesus taught us how to pray. But I think in moments like this, 
He just wants, God just wants you to come. God wants you to be there. God wants you to be honest and real. This is what's going on. He wants us to lean upon him. We'll see this throughout the Bible, right? In the Old Testament, where God was bringing judgment on Israel, right? He always ends it by saying, yes, you will know me. You will know me. I'm doing this so at the end, you will know me. You will once again come back to me. You see in the New Testament, Jesus is saying, bring your burdens, your cares, lay them down on my feet. My burden's light. My yoke is easy. I want you to know me. Right? I knock. If you open the door, we commune. This whole idea, it's throughout the whole Bible, God's desire is that you would take this concern, lay it down on his feet, and then when you've got it, enough off. Leave it there, right? And then go into prayer and be honest with your prayer. What happens in prayer? This is the feeling. We become aware of God's presence. Right? When we're seeing red, we're seeing the difficulty, we're seeing the pain, there's no acknowledging God in the midst of this. There's feeling my pain, right? And there's this, my prayer is God use me in the vengeance process. That's how I'm praying. When we lay this down and we move to, to prayer, what happens? We get reminded. You know, that sovereign God who created the universe, who created me, knows the hairs on my head, knows what I'm going to say before I say it, that God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, right? There is no one beside him, that God, right? You become immensely aware. How important is prayer for us? It's very, very important. But sometimes we don't make it to prayer, right? We're just stuck on this difficulty. Look what David does. Going through this, cries it out, moves to prayer. I don't know what there's. might have been a long pause. There are those moments in prayer where you just, maybe there's some things you've got to confess, and pretty soon you're sitting there for a while. Now I can pray. Stillness in my soul. He lays it out. God, if you, don't mind, if you don't open my eyes, Lord, consider me. I love that word. Consider and hear me, O oh Lord my God. Have you ever used those words in a prayer? I never have. But I think God wants us to do that. Right? You are that special to God. So many times we, we walk and we hang on to this burden like God can't or he won't or he's so far removed. Whatever that is, and God is saying, come. And we want you to say, consider me and hear me. God, consider me. Think about that. Let that roll through your mind. God desires a you. There's no one else like you in the universe. You would come. Lay this down. In the midst of praying, right, you become aware that he knows my name. That's right. He knows my name. And then David goes into the last part here, which it moves him to worship. Moves us to worship. This is how he gets there cries it out in honesty, right? But he doesn't stay there. He eventually moves into prayer, becomes aware of God's presence. What does he acknowledge in verse 5? I have trusted in your mercy, right? The objective work here. This mercy doesn't depend on the current situation I'm walking through, right? It doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on what I'm enduring or what I'm walking through. It's God's mercy, and I'm now immensely aware that God has mercy for me. I trust in your salvation. Again, outside of myself, David looked forward, right, to the cross, you and I live in, in the shadow, so to speak, of the cross. We have Jesus. We look at this and we go, that is salvation from God. He died for me. That's how David gets to this point where he goes, wow, in the midst of all this and all the betrayal and all the pain and all the sorrow and all the hurt and all the things that I'm enduring right now, I can get to a moment where I can say, I can sing to the Lord. He's been good to me. And it would be nice, right, if, if, if it all just kind of came to a happy ending. But you know what's amazing out of this psalm? The situation has not changed. David has. If you're familiar with the story, Absalom apparently had long hair. He got it caught in a tree. 
got tangled up in a tree and they found him. They killed him. Some of David's men. It's reported back to him. That's David's new reality. Son tried to take the kingdom, loses his life. Here's where David's at. Right? So in a sense, you and I, we were like, man, never had a kingdom, Tyson. Never had a son try to take that kingdom from me. All these emotions, these are all emotions that are found in David. You and I should be clicking with. I've experienced that. I've walked through this. You know, when uh, my wife and I were expecting our first son, um, we went through the Lamaze classes. You'd be so proud of me, right? I had the, <laughs> I had it down, right? I was good. I had it down. We're going through the Lamaze classes, and the nurse teaching the, <laughs> teaching the class, she went around and made all the men, you know, what's your biggest fear? Everyone had to answer. She was kind of intense. She scared me a little bit, right? <laughs> she was like, yeah, everyone has to answer. What are you afraid about? You know, and we're like, um, and so I, I said, well, I'm, I'm kind of afraid that the wife will be, you know, the baby will be born on the way to the hospital because I can't <laughs> while I'm driving the car, right? I said, it's not going to happen. I can multitask some things. That one I can't. Uh, later, you know, it's funny. Later she went on and she said, hey, I don't know how, how big the class was, but she said, you know, one in four of you statistically are going to have a cesarean, which to me was like, what? Crazy. Some foreshadowing where the story's going, right? I thought that was because my fear, all my fears when my wife was pregnant were, was like the things I couldn't control, right? Can't control what the baby's doing and the womb, what's going on, can't handle that, right? And th- those were all my fears. And so the day comes when my wife would labor and we're going to have this baby, our first, our first son, Noah. And uh, everything's fine and we're going, right, we're in the room, we're breathing through and she's squeezing the fire out of my hand. And I think there were moments I was kind of breathing just to save my hand, right? Right, and then we're sitting there, we're going fine, everything's on process, and all of a sudden Noah's heart rate just just plummets. I mean, it just it just tanks. I mean, the, like is the machine working? You know, this thing on? And the nurse comes flying in the room, right? Bam, hits this button. Stat unplugs all the machines. She's willing my wife out, and she's telling me, "Say your prayers, say your prayers." And she's willing my wife. They're going down the hallway, and I'm, I have this immense look on my face of like the timeout look. Have you ever seen the timeout look on people's face? I just want to call timeout, right? Wait a minute. Timeout, right? Every, everyone freeze. We wish they had a freeze button because they weren't communicating anything to me. Right? They just come in, and the nurse is like, we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? He say your prayers, say your prayers. And they grab the, the whole thing, and they will my wife. I'm going down the hall, and I've got the gear on, right? And I'm going like, what's happening? Timeout, timeout. You know, I'm almost wanting to say it. Someone tell me what's going on, right? My biggest fears, all these things. I'm thinking back to that nurse, right? When are we going to have, you know, cesarean? Get to the hallway, they will my wife in there, and, and they shut the doors. And that's it. And I'm standing at the end of this hallway. It's like a half kind of supply room kind of thing. And I'm just standing there like, what just happened? Right? It's like me and, and tongue depressors and some plastic. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, it's interesting in this moment. I got the timeout look on my face. And I'm like, I just have no idea what's happening. We went from to say your prayers. Right? And just for a note, if you've ever come across a friend who's got the timeout look on their face, remember Pastor Jimmy last week? He said, you know what? It's time to put your arm around them. You were here last week. That's a good thing. Because I, I, I thought I was communicating quite well. I need a timeout here. I need everyone to freeze, right? I need to huddle, 
two-minute warning, something. Give me something where we ever just talk and stop and tell, come tell me what is happening. So I'm standing in this, this supply room kind of thing, and um, you know the first thought, I, you know, the first thought that came to my mind, you, you probably think less of me, was a selfish thought. I, I honestly thought, I, I really, I, I think I said these words in my head, I'm like, God, for, you know, really, God, all the times as a pastor, I've been in hospitals and I've put my arms around people, I've cried with people, I've prayed with people. You couldn't have someone here for me. Right? And all, what I was really saying is, I don't think I can pray. Right? I don't even know what's going on. All my fears have just come to reality. And I just need someone to look me in the eye. Tell me it's going to be okay and pray for me because I don't think I can pray right now. Really, that was, that was like the thought within my head. Knees are shaking, right? I mean, the tongue depressors. And I collect myself, and I'm like, okay, okay we've got to figure this thing out. Figure it out, figure it out. Yeah, okay. And I'm going to start praying. And I'm a firm believer, especially, I mean, before then, but ever since that day, that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. I honestly, I'm sure I pray for my, my, my wife and son. I don't recall ever praying for them. Isn't that the oddest thing? My prayer, I mean, I think I went to my happy place in my head. I think I just checked out. I don't know what's going on. And the Spirit of God just kicked in. And I just started telling God who he is. That was my prayer. All the studies I've done on his attributes, what I knew from Scripture, I just started going, you know what, Lord, you're the Alpha and the Omega. You're the beginning. I just started telling him, you're Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides. You're Jehovah Rapha. You're the God who heals. This is who you are. And we just started just going for it. That's all I knew what to do. I, mean, I didn't even think about it, right? And it was, I don't know how long it went on. And I was, I'm out there, right? I'm, I'm, it's like these moments where you're just ramped up emotionally, and then you kick in, and the spirit kicks in, and this, all this thing is going, and I'm about ready to have an altar call, right? I'm like, this is going, this, I'm like, tongue depressors are coming to Jesus. This is where it's happening. And I don't know how long the time was, and the nurse comes out, and she looks at me. She says, his heart rate came back up. Would you like to come in and be with your wife? And it's that moment where you're just like, that awkward pause. I should have just said, just give me two minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have every head bowed. and every high cl- I mean, I was, okay, yeah, I'd like to come hold my wife's hand. I have no idea. No idea why, this, why his heart rate did that. They later did an, uh, uh, a normal cesarean. They were going to do an mer- emergency cesarean, get the baby out. And uh, they did a normal one because they thought maybe his... The little cord was around his neck. They have no idea, right? So well, I think he was squeezing it in his umbilical. I don't know what Noah was doing. But it's funny because we're, the next day we're in, we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at St. John's Hospital, and it's this big, big hospital in Oklahoma. And it's like the next night, and it's after hours, and we get this phone call from, from Kim's grandmother. She's like, did they evacuate you from the hospital? Right? And you're just, What? I think I had his, his grandma on drugs look on my face, right? Like, what, grandma? She's like, that's all over the news. The, the parking garage next to the hospital is on fire. I'm like, walk to the window, open it. Oh, yeah, that thing's on fire, <laughs> right? There's the news helicopters flying around. That's what she was watching. Are they evacuating you? Like, there was that moment where my wife and I looked at Noah, and we're like, God, is this a sign, right? Traumatic birth. And, Hospital parking garages catching on fire. He's like, what do we do with that? We're like, his, his name is Noah, but it means man of peace, but he's off to a rough start. Right? We're just like, oh, no. <clears throat> but in these moments, the reason I share that story is 
You know, we have to have this foundation. Life just comes at us. We endure things. We walk through things. And I believe, I'm sure I prayed for my wife and my son. I'm sure I did. I, don't, I honestly don't recall doing it. I think I was just pacing back and forth, telling God, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you told me you are. This is where I built my life. And when all the other stuff falls away, we have to have that foundation. You know, as we look at these moments, um, you know, these last few weeks about moving forward, it's, you know, it's really just jumped out to me how God has, has been really communicating to us. You know, from, from Gary, our lead elder, who spoke on Joshua 1 about God, you know, being with us. If you're not, I'm with you. The courage component. Four times God says that to Joshua. Don't worry, I'm with you. Don't worry, I'm with you. Right? He's saying it to us. Don't worry, I'm with you. Then Joshua 6, where God is saying, do you see? I've given you Jericho. Open your eyes. See what isn't there. Then last week, through Pastor Jimmy's message, we talked about Joseph. And, you know, what things are meant for for harm to us. God has a purpose and a plan. See, God is active and he's moving. And here in David's life, right, how he goes from six verses from, I don't know what my son just did, complete abandonment to I will sing and worship. And it all resonates around this idea that you got to know him. you got to stand upon his word and trust him. These are the very things God wants you to do. He brings us through experiences. I don't have answers for that. I don't know why we walk through things. Some of us this morning are going through some stuff. I don't have an answer for you. But I do know God is with you. He's with us. And in moments when, when, when all of it is stripped away and you have nothing else, be sure that you have God. Because in these, in these difficult times and, and when we're seeing red, we're not always looking at God. And David very simplistically shows us Cry out in honesty. Right? When you lay that burden down, go to prayer and be reminded. Sovereign God is with me. That's how we, we move forward in our worship. That's where we get to this place where we can sing. I will sing. That's right. He's been good to me. Maybe we walk through something where we just we need to confess. Have a moment where we just say, God, I confess. There's some sin here. It's blocking our relationship. Do that. But in order to move forward, we have to get to the point where we lay these things down. I think it's, I think it's, it's really interesting that God you know, <clears throat> has David. I think it's very important for men. Here's this, this manly man, right? Men among men. He's such a great poet. Right? He writes these psalms. Worship is important to God. And we're not too manly for those things. Right? It's important for us. These are the very things he wants us to do. Let me pray for us this morning.